Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update, providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. We appreciate it. Is For those of you that are listening on a downloaded basis, it's Monday the 21st of 2014. It's good to have everybody here. This is a broadcast that's created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Progress and Lending's Innovation Award for 2013. Thank you so much, Tony and the group, for honoring us with that. Today, on today's hot topic, I am excited about this one because we have as our special guest, Marsha Davies, who is the MBA's chief of staff, and we'll be discussing keys to successful executive partnerships. And uh, I encourage you to call or email your associates and friends in the industry to tell them to tune into this broadcast. Uh, I know one of Marsha's, uh, uh, you know, fans out there is a, a, a chief a staff or a head of operations who called her boss and said, if you want me to stay on with you, you've got to listen to this broadcast. We've got to figure this out. It's not working. And I think privately my wife's hoping I might pick up on a tip or two. She is definitely the chief of staff of our family uh, and what's going on there. But I also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee. By the way, did you know that underwriting, United Guarantees underwriting teams are achieving 24-hour turnaround on 97% of all the uh, full-time applications, of all the applications, full-time applications, there's a difference, a full-time application is the key here, for mortgage insurance. The mortgage insurance underwriting has been a focus of a three-year initiative there at United Guarantee and to achieve faster and easier service for lenders. United Guarantee processed approximately 138,000 full-file submissions in 2013, and they've seen a full uh, full-file application growth, uh, application growth, again, the difference between the two submission types, is grown by more than 60%, up from 45% in uh, 2011. So it's really growing, and it's something that's got some tremendous advantages. To learn more, head out to their website, www.ugcorp.com, and go forward slash day one and you'll get right to this information about the full application and their service. We want to say thank you to United Guarantee and all our friends there. Be sure to get to know your local representative, outstanding group of people. I enjoy them both professionally and personally. They're always a great group, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. Also, a special shout-out goes to our sponsor, Velma, which stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. If you're looking for a marketing solution that will help you differentiate yourself, from your competition, check out Velma at Velma.com. They, we use them for this radio broadcast. They send out, gosh, what are they, five, 6,000 emails, and they really, the way they go about it is just really outstanding. Of course, we say a special thank you to our contributors, on Alice, Joe, and Andy, uh, for being a part of this, and so it's always great to have you be a part of the broadcast. I see we got Paul Mollis already dialed in, waiting in there. Can't wait for some pearls of wisdom. We're also going to have Tony Garitano on in a little bit, talking about technology. But let's get off and start off with, oh, wait a minute, upcoming conferences. Almost forgot. Alice and I will be speaking August 10th through the 10th, 11th, and 12th. I think we're actually speaking on the 11th, if I'm not mistaken, Alice, at the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association up in Mackinac Island. You want to go to a gorgeous place and escape the heat, come on up there. David Stevens, who I understand, will be speaking up there along with a host of others. Love to see you up there. And Alice and I will be there to check out their event by going to MMLA's uh, website and uh, mmla.net. Go to their website, check on conferences. Also, September 7th and 9th, MBA's Risk Management and Quality Assurance Forum in Miami. This event has really grown over the last couple of years. And I was talking to Mike Fratantoni about this, and it's going to have an intense focus on uh, risk management, QA, quality assurance, quality control, and fraud prevention. They've got speakers from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac that will be there. 
And this year's conference is really going to have some detailed sessions uh, hosted by risk management professionals and fraud professionals. They're going to be focusing on measuring, tracking, and reducing loan fraud rates, mitigating repurchase risk, indemnifications, and recession uh the recession, excuse me, recession, recession. Well, I guess we always want to <laughs> measure, mitigate re- recession risk, but this is recession risk. And risk management, third-party origination channels, lots of great information. Also, we talked covering Respatila. You know, we try to do a good job on this broadcast to keep you updated on what's going on, but there is no substitute, folks, for you to get to a conference like this to get a deep dive in, I call it, complete immersion on a really specific topic. It's essential and extremely valuable. Joe Farr, let's get into what's going on in the market. I see that a little bit of looks like a flight to quality again going on because of concerns with what's going over there overseas. So let's talk talk about it. It's a small one. It's a small one. It's uh, uh, we're up five thirty seconds. You know, there's been no economic data. And so you're right. It's been a a reaction to, uh, you know, concerns about the Ukraine and the Middle East, you know, Israel and Gaza. Uh, so as you might expect, Scott, stocks are down a little bit. Uh, so it's a small flight to safety. Stocks are only down 75 points right now. Yeah, not a big deal. Not that much. Surprised it's actually not more, to be honest with you. That's probably the biggest surprise too. for me. I am too, especially on Thursday when when the big news hit uh, about the downing of the airliner. It was, uh, you know, uh, what you would expect to happen happened, but it just was not as, uh, you know, as significant as as. I and I think a lot of people thought. All right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, I thought yeah. it would be much more so, long-lasting. But obviously, Obama's uh, comments today has kind of kept things reasonably calm. I, so. I think I think so. I mean, he, he came on, and, and there was uh, some speculation he might mention additional uh, sanctions against Russia for their apparent uh, lack of desire to... to Calm the situation in the in Ukraine. Uh, he did not, and after that speech, we saw a little bit of uh, a little stock recovery. They uh, we're down 75 now. We're down 135 uh, about the time he started speaking. So we saw a little bit of reversal there because you know any any sort of additional sanctions against Russia is going to spill over into Europe, which is going to spill over into the U.S. and it's going to have uh, uh, potentially negative economic effects on on both economies. So uh, the stock market kind of liked the fact that he didn't. Of course, if they don't get on the ball and start helping out in the situation over there, they're likely to become more sanctioned. So uh, that yep. that's going to play out in the week ahead. Uh, but last well, week, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, it, last, yeah. It, it, it was all about it, it was all <laughs> about things going on in, in the global conflicts. You know, it was. It was a volatile week, although there was very little net change. We started the week out on a down note, primarily because we had ended the week prior in a, in a little bit of a shift to safer assets and in concern about escalation in, in the Middle East, primarily as the Israeli-Gaza situation was you know, beginning to unfold. And when the weekend didn't bring more escalation, we saw that flight to quality reverse just a bit. And so we started the week mm-hmm. out lower. But then on Thursday, the down yeah. of, of the Malaysian jetliner, and and on the same day Israel announced uh, the ground offensive into Gaza, we saw that come right back. So uh, we, we were down and then back up, and, and for the week we had very little net change. Most of the economic data last week um, – well, uh, really, a lot came out, but it was just totally overshadowed by the global events. Uh, retail sales came in a little weak. Uh, manufacturing was strong, and the housing data was mixed. Home builder confidence rose yeah. to one of the best levels of the year, and but in the at the same time, June housing starts were very disappointing. So uh, yeah, that one in the that one caught my attention because that can have such a direct impact to the economy as housing starts. Love to see existing home sales Absolutely. continue to do. Well, but that we want to see people back to work building houses, so more sticks up in the air. Absolutely. That's interesting. Well, this, then this week, week we're going to get to see existing home sales uh, and yeah. new home sales, so we'll get another reading on the on the housing market. But uh, really, again, it's going to dom- be dominated by what goes on, uh, whether Russia begins to uh, assist in the area of managing their crash site and, and allowing people to get in there and recover uh, unfortunately, bodies as well as uh, uh, investigate the, cri- the crash scene. 
So uh, that's going to be a big event, and obviously whatever's going on in Israel, that seems to be escalating just a bit uh, here recently. And so, uh, you know, the concern there is obviously if it escalates to the point where others get involved. Uh, let's hope that does yes. not happen. Uh, next week, as, yes. as I mentioned, the existing and new home sales come out. Uh, in addition, CPI comes out on Tuesday, tomorrow, and uh, – and uh, durable orders is the other big event comes out on Thursday. So, no, I'm sorry, that comes out on Friday. So, Friday. You know, yeah. It's important to pay attention to the economic data, but it, you know, it really expect the market to be uh, reacting to headlines coming out of um, you know the Middle East and Ukraine. You got to have a service like MBS Quoteline, folks, to be able to stay on top of this. When to lock, when to hold, when to fold, when to lock, and when to yeah. float. So it's really important. Joe, thank you so much for getting us up sure. to date on what's going on, folks. Uh, to learn more about this valuable service, I use it all the time. Uh, be sure to stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about about MBS Quote Line today at mbsquoteline.com. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. We've got the always charming, witty, uh, Paul Mallow on the line bringing us update. Again, if you have not subscribed to www.imfnews.com, you need to do so. Great stuff. Paul, I've got your uh, website up here, and I'm looking at an article you just uh, posted. It's uh, put up here, and it's uh, market share loss in mortgages by megabanks bottoming out with a question mark. That's an interesting. That caught my attention today. Always a lot of good stuff here. Good to have you with us. What you got? Well, that's the number two story. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. That's uh, that's from FBR. What's well, a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the big news last week, or we thought was pretty big news, we had it on our website, uh, was you know what happened with J.P. Morgan and, and their yes. their you know the revelation about how they're cutting way back on FHA lending and they're squabbling with FHA and they want indemnifications, you know. JPM's mortgage volume actually fell 1% from the second quarter to the first. Uh, all mm-hmm. the big banks, like I think Wells was up 31%, Citi was up 19%, U.S. Bancorp was up 26 or 27%. So, you know, the only skunk at the garden party, so to speak, was, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase. I mean, you know, there's no secret that Dan- Jamie Dimon is – you know, he on one hand he loves the mortgage business because he, he likes to cross sell opportunities and he knows they have to be right. in mortgages. But on the other hand, he's tired of all the crap, crap he's got to deal with. <laughs> you, know, you know, he's not he beat really... up on loan brokers three years ago. He's now he's land based in FHA. Um, so anyway, that. you know, go what ahead. On earth, that was just floored me. His comments about FHA last year, last week, it was going. Jamie, yeah, no. I mean, he's, he, he's a ballsy kind of guy. Sorry for the you know, yeah. flying there, but but he is just he you know he's out there. He's bold with his comments. I think that's why he's as popular and you know like he's an iconic kind of leader. Like, yeah, you know they're going to be interesting to watch. I mean, uh, you know, FBR thinks that maybe the worst is over on the big banks losing share. Uh, you know, I'm not convinced. I you know, listen, the big banks are all publicly traded, and they have stockholders to answer to. Uh, uh, a lot of the non-banks, the fast-growing ones, are not publicly traded. Of course, you got Aquin, Nation Star, and, and Walters, PHH. Those are the exceptions. But you know, there's, there's a lot of nimble non-banks out there who are, are privately held. They don't have to answer to Wall Street. Uh, they just have to answer to their investors. And you know, if, if they tell a story where they can continue to gain share, uh, you know, they're not going to be as under much pressure as the big guys. So. Okay. You know, that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, our lead story today was about jumbo loan quality. Uh, that's probably not surprising. We we looked at uh, uh, Brandon Avia of our staff. He looked at the, the deals done in the 
uh, second quarter. And what's interesting there, the uh, debt-to-income ratio on, on the loans and, and the bond securitized, the jumbos, in the second quarter, I mean, the debt-to-income ratio was 27.4%. I mean, wow. you know, that's yeah. just, nice. you know, Ridiculous where's the risk? Low. There is no risk. Yeah, there's, yeah. yeah. Short yeah. of a housing turnaround, a downturn or something of that nature. No, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't get it. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's and then we also on the FHA front we had George Brooks look at the FICO scores. Mm-hmm. Uh it looks like FHA endorsements uh on uh, FICO's in the band of six twenty six seventy nine. Uh those FICO scores um they were up a bit from a year ago. I'm not sure what that means, you know, maybe FHA is taking on a little more risk. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we have also a story about signing bonuses. Um, we've written about signing bonuses before. This we is got interesting, yeah. Yeah. Garrett McCauley. Joe Garrett is, you know, he's a consultant. He does a lot of interesting stuff out there. Uh, and, you know, he, he put something out in his newsletter, and we expanded out a bit, talked to a few people. Uh, you know, they're still paying. The bottom line is if you're a good LO, they're still paying signing bonuses. Uh, depending on who you are and how much volume you're doing, we're we're looking into that story a little more. Some areas there's no signing bonuses. We heard from we checked with one uh, a lender in Alaska. I mean, not a huge market, obviously, but you know they're not paying signing bonuses. But you know we'll no. see. Uh, Freedom uh, Mortgage, so, you know that's a very interesting story. Freedom Mortgage, uh, six Freedom Mortgage executives. is privately held. They have a REIT right. that's public. Stan Middleman Shop. You know they're they're yep. doing fairly well. Uh, really? They also hired a bunch of executives, and now they're in commercial and mortgage lending. Uh, that's an interesting story to keep. Um, He's doing you know, a great fun. job of leading that. I had yeah. I had a privilege of interviewing interviewing him for the uh, a future broadcast. And I really I was very unpleasant. Very, very focused, one of the most focused executives. So I thought this is interesting that he's hired that many new executives, which you know was like no, it wasn't negative necessarily. So, um, did they, what areas are they managing? Those areas did it say? No, I, I, the five, there were six new hires. Five were in commercial. Uh, I'm assuming. Oh, okay. uh, I, I'm assuming it's multifamily. That's uh, you know a lot of yeah. these guys. You know, it's either multifamily or or the small commercial stuff. Um, yeah. So I actually have a, I had an inquiry into one of their PR people. I haven't heard back on any details in what area it is. But I interviewed Stan Middleman, I think late last year sometime. And you know he was, he was gung ho about hiring on on the residential yes. side. I think on yeah. the, I think and I'm, this is I'm going by memory. It might have been on the retail side. Uh, I think he's yes. one of these guys who, who sees up. a lot of opportunity in new markets and, and purchase money lending. Uh, and then yeah. in short takes, we we talked a little bit more about paying the bonuses. Uh, Penny Mac at uh, financial service. This is the mortgage unit, not the REIT. They mm-hmm. they're unlocking. It looks like some uh, shares to resell. I think some of their large investors might be testing the market um, eventually, but I think part of the problem is their, their share price is, is pretty low these days, but um, we'll see. Uh, also, there's some information out about uh, NBA. Their big, uh, their big get, one of their big gets for the annual show is actor Kevin Spacey, who will be speaking at the yes. in the fall. So yes. uh, that, that show he's in, House of Cards, I've seen it a few times. It's huge. You know, it's all about the insider uh, politicians right. in Washington, how evil, <laughs> how evil, corrupt, <laughs> and uh, they'll do anything to get get you know to get ahead. Uh, so maybe that's uh, maybe that's a a preview or uh, some kind of uh, commentary on the current state of affairs in Washington. I'm not sure. Uh, and then one last uh, final note: Eric Billings. Uh, people might remember FBR last decade taking right. a lot of subprime companies public via REIT structure. I should add. Uh, he's finally mm-hmm. retiring from that little bond company they had, Arlington Asset Investment Corp. I think there was some tie-in with FBR. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but there's anyway. He's stepping down, and that's sort of the end of an era. So we have that there too, and that's uh, that's all the good stuff for today. Always good stuff up here, folks. If you're not signed up, go out to www.imfnews.com. Pick up on all that's there. It's always interesting. See Sherry's in there. Your daughter's still writing, so I always love picking up. I actually pay a little extra attention. So I say, how 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 far did the acorn fall from the the tree here with her style? Uh, I like well, it. Very <laughs> she's, she's a good writer. I'm not sure the mortgage industry is her uh, chosen field, but she's a young kid. We'll see what happens. Yeah, she does well. Anyway, it's good to have you, Paul, with us. Thank you. Always appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking a few minutes out. 
Alice Alvey, let's shift over to you to what's going on in the world of regulations and compliance, what training, what you got. Hey, Dave. Hi, everybody. Well, you know, as you know, we're watching, we've got our groups here for comments, and thank goodness right now we've got a little window here where there aren't any rules that are open for comment. We're just all kind of basically sitting back and waiting. We have kind of this wait-and-see position um, for some of the truth and lending points and fees changes that we were all commenting on last month. So I'll keep you posted, but as of now, no no change there. Nothing rolled out yet on the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, which we're all anxiously waiting for because we really would like to check that one off the list. So for those of you who are kind of focusing on integrated disclosures, right, that's our word for combined GFE mm-hmm. and truth and lending. I actually, I'm the nerd, I counted how many actual business days, right, because people <laughs> be, keep going, oh, I've got a year before that goes into play, <laughs> right? So the actual working days, right, skip all the holidays in there, and, all, and, and I actually, I counted months end, and some of you might go, well, don't bother counting that. I mean, our 100-day mark, uh, we're We've used up 100 days at the end of this year. There's about 250 days. You go, oh, heck, i got all kinds of time. But the number one trend we're seeing in the integrated disclosure discussion, procedural process that everyone's assessing is really getting to centralizing that process, if you haven't already, but completely taking it out of the originator's hands. Uh, so many companies are going, that's too many people to train. Let me set up a group. You know, we're offering the training on this as well as a side note. But just the idea that, you know, I, if I've got to implement this quickly, um, I, I'm not going to know when my LOS provider comes out. That's a trend that we're absolutely seeing. Um, on the compliance hot button side, we do have partners yes. with yeah, on the hot button side is defining business purpose within the qualified mortgage rules. We've had lots of scenarios coming across our desk for com- people going, you know, here's this very strange scenario that I have uh, in terms of is it a non-owner occupied business purpose if I'm an owner occupied loan but the cash out in the transaction is being used to replenish the purchase of a, a, a business purpose property and all of those types of things that it seems everybody's trying to get a, a handle on that um, business purpose process so anyway if you have any questions on that we're happy to help but that's that's an area still on QM we implore people to double check it make sure you write policies for it and also make sure that if it gets gray we don't see companies taking a lot of risk on that Um, even the small portfolio lenders who you know have a lot of gray when it comes to defining business purpose uh, we're recommending you know it's better to apply the QM than try to get out of it of course you have a lawyer tell you 10 ways to Sunday why not Um, a new bill from the legislative side is HR 5418 that this was just introduced last week, but we don't have any full text on it. Looks like something someone's going to try something about appraisals in the truth and lending high risk mortgages. Hmm. So this is titled um, to exempt certain high risk mortgages from property appraisal requirements and to exempt individuals from penalties for failure to report certain appraisers, and then, of course, other things. They're, they're going to bring up, it looks like, some things from Fireria. But I'm interested to follow this one because, um, you know, certainly there's some big impacts on the high-risk appraisals uh, issue. Um, we do have issues as lenders to try and make sure we're reporting uh, when we have appraisal problems. So I'll be watching that one for everybody. Um, the rest of the bills, you know, we are watching the revised QM points and fees bill, House Bill 3211, that um, it passed the House June 9th. No movement on that yet with the Senate. Uh, so we're watching that. Um, and then there's also a portfolio bill, last but not least, House Bill 2673, Portfolio Lending and Mortgage Access. I love this one. This is an attempt to have all of the bank's loans on the balance sheet classified as QM. I love that, right? So if I'm a community banker, I decide I want to give a loan to a customer because they've got a lot of money on deposit and their BTI is 75. If I hold it on my books, I can call it a QM. I'll be very interested to see how they try and phrase this rule and still get it to pass uh, within the world of ability to repay that we have today. Uh, So, you know, that was just introduced also last week. So we're watching a few things. Nothing imminent yet, but we'll keep you posted. And so that's my update for today, Dave. (laughs) 
good, good, good update. Uh, I, you know, I was thinking about as I listened to you, you're like the guys that track all the hurricanes. And so they start tracking weather systems off the coast of Africa and to see what potentially is going to develop into something. That's what you do. You are like our hurricane hunter, the weather that could be hitting us in time. Great report. I love it. Good stuff. I love having you specifically cover the various HR bills that are what's flowing through there. Very interesting about the 54 uh, 18 HR 5418. That'll be really interesting to see where that develops. Good to have you with us, Alice, and can't wait to have you in on the broadcast. You have worked in a number two position and a chief of staff, and I I know you're going to have some insights for Marsha when we have her on here just a little bit. So it's good to have you. We'll be good to have you and your comments at that point. We've got the prophet, Doctor. I'm looking too. Uh, we got the prophet doctor. He'll be coming up with us in just a moment. Uh, Tony Garitano is next, then the prophet doctor. Looking so forward to it. A lot more on the broadcast. And then Marsha Davies, chief of staff for the NBA, on in the Hot Topics segment. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. We've got Tony Garitano on the line giving us an update on everything technology. By the way, I'm just looking at how many people dialed in from all corners of the, seems like the planet, but certainly all over the United States. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining in and telling others about it. Tony Garitano, good to have you with us. Make sure that you're, Thanks, <clears throat> I got your mic. It is. So do, uh, so here's the big question for you today is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying there's a housing downturn, but if there were to be one, how do lenders protect themselves from the effects of another housing downturn? We don't hope there's not one, but if that does, please. Well, I got this thought, Dave, from an article that I read in which they said, um, it was from Inman News, um, they mm-hmm. said a majority of North American mortgage bankers fear another real estate bubble is forming. Really? It said a recent study conducted by FICO found that 56% of Canadian and American respondents who were polled who are directly involved in mortgage lending expressed concern that an unsustainable real estate bubble is inflating. The article pointed out that the housing market is bifurcated because there is strong price growth in many markets, pushing total homeownership equity in the United States to its highest level since late 2007, even as 6 million people struggle with underwater loans. So it was kind of a mixed report, and I was thinking, you know, well, if we do have another downturn, and, and I'm sure that you know one is inevitable over time, yeah, um, that's just a close, because yeah. of the cyclical nature of the mortgage industry, um, you know what can lenders do? And, and of course, you know my main answer is uh, automate and prepare your processes in such a way that you know that you're doing things in the most efficient, cost-effective way because. Um, with all the increased regulation and with um, scares like this one, um, you know, yeah, we had, yeah. really can't be afford. They, they just can't sit back and do nothing anymore. Yeah, a technology is going to be a big part of it. If you look at double-digit you know, inflation year-over-year numbers on appreciation in homes in certain markets, uh, you, you, I mean, the, I could get that. David Stevens texted out that, you know, he asked it as a question in a, one of his Facebook posts uh, that I follow and listen to all the time. Or look at all the time, and it's I mean it, 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 it's a distinct possibility if we have I mean I'd like to see appreciation get back into a single digit because then I think we can work our way out of a potential bubble. But who re- remains to be seen? Some markets are hotter. It's going to be a re- regionalized uh, bubble if it is, and so. But for those that are in those potential bubble markets, what should lenders be doing today to prepare for what's going to come because the future looks uncertain? Is it all about technology, Tony? Um, well, I think that you know this kind of speaks to 
the conversation that that you're going to have in the broadcast later on, Dave. Um, you know, I think it's all about thought leadership, personally. Yeah, um, good point. And I think that it's about putting in place key people in key positions who have the foresight to look ahead um, and prepare the company, you know, when it comes to technology and, and other things as well. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the discussion that you guys have later on because I think that there's a lot of innovation going on outside of the mortgage space, but a lot of times when we look within the mortgage space, it's very reactive. And I often scratch yeah. my head and say, you know, where have all the thought leaders go gone? I mean, you know, who's doing anything that's really forward thinking? Um, yep. And um, I think that, that that speaks to the need for really great staffing. And yeah, really I think it's really team. good. Yeah, and I think you look at some really strong technology tools. Uh, you know, we're fans of Motivity. I look at those kind of dashboards. I think those are very good indicators. They're like buoys out at the sea talking about, you know, if we got an El Nino or, an, or a, uh, whatever, you know, weather systems out there. I mean, we look at these systems that are out there, and it's essential for predicting direction, and that's really good. Uh, folks, if you're not signed up to receive Tony's information or his newsletter, I'm really a fan of his latest one, and I have a looking for a copy of it here, but I don't have it, Tony. Um, but that really, I love how you integrate both audio interviews and the written together. You're doing some innovative things and got some great thought leadership of there. I'm thrilled to be able to contribute to it. So uh, what is the name of that one? It's Insight? Uh, today's Lending Insight. Like today's Lending Insight. Yeah, it's a great publication, folks. If you don't got to have it, check it out. Get a hold of Tony at uh, phone number 203-529-3131 or Tony at ProgressInLending.com. Tony, look forward to getting your commentary on uh, the interview we have with Marshall a little bit later on. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Dave. You bet. Let's shift over to the Prophet Doctor. He is on his cell hey, phone. Dave. I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, for, hey, so, uh, yeah, We need to say, by the way, Spawn, your segment is sponsored by Optimal Blue Secondary Interactive. Very much a great service on secondary, outsourced secondary. So what you got for us, my friend? Well, Dave, you were just talking about uh, buoys at the sea and, and how we use that information to predict weather patterns and you know, measurement of our of our activities, measurement of our, our our world around us is something that's very important, and we do regularly. You know, as financial institutions, uh, commercial banks directly and very actively manage their capital return on equity. They manage their assets return on assets, measure risk based capital, uh, lots of metrics, and mortgage banks too. You know, we always focus on funded loans and volumes of uh, numbers of units funded, volume of unit volumes of loans funded, gross revenue. We have all kinds of, of numbers that we, we kind of think about. I guarantee you originators know how much their commission is supposed to be. <laughs> so, you know, we do have stuff that we look at. But I'd ask the question if we really look at enough or if we really have the full dashboard to understand our business because – if I still have this happen. I ask somebody, so what's your profit per loan? And they'll tell me their gross gain on sale. I go, no, 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 no. I want to know your, your profit per loan. And they don't know. I ask the profit per originator. How much money are you making on each originator? And again, they, they don't know. Perhaps profitability and you know, on and on. And then the thing that really so gives me surprising. some concern. Well, yeah, you know, give it. This isn't new. You know, there, I was watching the show Blast from the Past the other day about this family that wakes, goes into an air raid shelter in 1950 and wakes up and it's 2000. And, you know, there's, the world has changed around them. And there's been a lot of technology change in mortgage banking, but the, the process of what we do, taking applications, validating assets, income, liabilities, debts, ability to pay, all that's not new. That's, that's credit training that I had in the 70s and that you went through, Dave. Mm -hmm. It's all the same. It, I mean, there's still some variances and nuances happening, but there's fundamentals of mortgage banking that are still mortgage banking. It takes so much time to underwrite a loan. There's, uh, we want to manage the turn time in underwriting. So what, what, what I think people need to think about is measuring our operations and having metrics to know how good is good enough a really yep. interesting topic you've been bringing up recently, Dave, is everybody wants to know, you know, what's files per underwriter per month, and everybody wants to know what's your turn time in underwriting. Like, you know, that's a really important metric, and it is. 
But what people don't often ask about is how many of the underwriting submitted files got rejected for poor data, not enough data, wrong forms, not enough information, because the, the strategy is from the origination front is just submit it. They'll sort it out. You know, just throw it against the wall and let's, let's see what happens. Both of those strategies are incredibly costly to organizations because you have your highest-priced people, your underwriters, figuring out stuff that should have been done at the processor level or even before. Yeah, so that's true. Originators need to do more to earn the commission besides just grabbing out to the processor. you got to get the data, support the processor in getting the data, and then there's originators always pressure processors to get the file submitted. Well, What's the cost of submitting an incomplete file? It, it's it's staggering, yeah. and I know Dave, you're doing a lot of work on this in in uh, vision management, and it's just why don't people pay attention? We see it all and all over the country, over and over. It's still a problem, and we just need to step back and get our metrics in order so we can measure if it's an El Nino or not. Get our buoys in line. Yes. Check out the buoys, know what the systems are, and you have your systems in place to measure what's going on out there. You're always talking about KPIs, don't your cost per loan. It's so true, Andy. So good to have you on. Yep. I'm excited to get Marsha on, and I'll have you join in on that because you understand the value of teams. We consult in this area all the time, so very excited to get there. Thank you, and uh, look forward to her participation uh, here in the interview in just a moment. So good Thank to have you. you with us. You bet. Okay. Uh, folks, I'm... Special thank you goes out to, again, Optimal Blue. Uh, appreciate them. They're the sponsor of the Profit Doctor, Andy Shell's segment. It's good to have you with us. For sake of time, uh, Sam Garcia is not with us, but I want to say a special thank you to Sam uh, participating with us. Go check out MortgageDaily.com. Some great data and insights that he has there. Greetings to Sam and the team there at Merrill Mortgage Daily. All right. Time for the Hot Topic segment. I'm not even going to run our ad because I want to get right into this thing and have as much time with Marsha as possible. We have as our special guest Marsha Davies. Marsha is the Chief of Staff and Senior Vice President of External uh, Relations for the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. And she's also the chief of, I mean, she is the Chief of Staff uh, to the MBA President and CEO David Stevens, one of my favorite people on the planet. Just really enjoy that guy, the leadership he brings. Marsha is responsible for facilitating in the implementation of strategic initiatives and has the oversight for projects that are organizational priorities. I'd love to get more, and we're going to get some insights into that. Uh, she is the lead strategist for the MBA's external activities, providing leadership guidance and overall management to the public affairs, marketing, and communication divisions, those specific areas of focus. In addition, she provides strategic direction to and management to the MBA's conferences and meetings. If anyone's been to an MBA conference and you wonder how why it runs so well and so tight, Marsha's fingerprints are all over it. It is just, I just love the conferences at the NBA, especially since Marsha's taken over and is really managing that. Uh, Marsha, by the way, many of you don't realize, Marsha was, uh, was, worked at HUD previous to this. Um, she worked with David Stevens there, as well as she was with 21 years at Freddie Mac, where she had a variety of vice president leadership positions there. She's a graduate of the Catherine Gibbs School in um, Montclair, New Jersey. And without further ado, Marsha, so good to have you on the broadcast with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, David. Marsha, you and I had an opportunity. I've, first of all, I've been tracking for some time the struggle that's going on with many companies, and I've been admiring the team and partnership that you and David have had for a long, long time. And as we look at and consult the companies of shapes and sizes around the country, we're seeing these reincurring struggles at the top of many companies. There's always a head person, the president, the owner, the division manager, uh, often an iconic kind of leader like David. And oftentimes there is a number two person, the head of operations or chief of staff that runs the organization. The responsibility for the success or failure of that organization really falls on the to those two individuals and how well that organization functions is based on the success or failure of that. In many organizations we see today, we see the two key roles and they're really struggling. So that's why I wanted to invite you on there. We have had David on. I always love having David Stevens on. We have a large listenership. We have a large listenership today with you being on the radio. Um, and I really wanted to get in, Marsha, into the keys for your success 
and really help our listing audience really understand that. And for those of you that do not know this, I mean, I, I had the privilege of really getting to know Marsha last year when I spoke at the chairman's conference. And uh, I always see David there, and I had a question about my session, so I walked up and I saw this really attractive gal standing there next to him. I did not know it was Marsha. I had not really met her before heard of her and there she was and so he says dave you got to marsha he and it was really impressive how he did a clear handoff which i think is one of the things i want to get into marsha and you know i was kind of taken back wow really attractive but what really impressed me even more than that was how you took control professionally made things happen fast efficient effective anyone's ever run a company really admires that so um it's really good to have you here and then also at the secondary conference this year i have struggled to get the radio broadcast set up where I can effectively do it there. I've always asked for things, but you got involved this year. I had the best broadcast ever at a conference because you directly got involved and had your staff make things happen. So thank you. It's so good to have you here with us. What I want to start off getting into a little bit, Marsha, get people familiar with you. For those listeners, go check out um, Marsha's bio at on LinkedIn. Just go Marsha Davis. Davies, and you'll find it there. So let's talk a little bit about your career path, Martha, that Marsha, that led you here. You started with Freddie Mac. Let's start right there. What drew you to Freddie Mac? What positions did you hold? And then, uh, and, and also, you met Dave there, is where I think where your paths first crossed, correct? Right, that's correct. I actually moved to Washington, D.C., and started my career in D.C. at the Association of Trial Lawyers, where I was there oh. for quite a bit of time. And um, Freddie Mac hired me to do industry relations and marketing at industry events. So ironically, my first job at Freddie Mac was to market Freddie Mac at MBA events. So um, oh, really? my career has come yes, full circle. And from there, um, I managed their meetings and conventions and events for several years and then went into public affairs. And from there, I spent a good chunk of my time in servicing, handling servicing policy and servicer oh. relations was there when we rolled out the tiering strategy, um, the ranking for servicer performance. And then um, Freddie Mac did a reorganization where they combined um, the seller, the front end of the business, um, sales with servicing. So they brought those two divisions together, which is when um, I started working with Dave. So Dave had been recently hired by Freddie Mac to run the single-family sales organization, and when we first started working together, I had come in from servicing and ops background, and they blended those organizations together. So Dave and I reported to um, the same boss, and we spent so our um, I, first time working together. Um, and we spent our time working together, sorting out a new organization and, and learning the new business processes of this melded um, group organization. And, yeah. I was, and that was the, when we met and met and sorry, there's a little delay. I apologize for that, Marsha, because of all the technology involved there. Uh, but one of the things that impressed me when we sat in New York was you, you commented about what your first reaction of working with David, if I recall correctly, was was not. It's like you just admired the guy right out of the gate. There was there was a there was obviously because of the different roles, some opportunity for some differences in there. Talk about that. Oh, that. You're, you're being kind. What I told you was when Dave and I first started working together, we fought like cats and dogs. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was because he was in charge of sales and I was working with him in an operations capacity. And so um, I think there were times where he, he had certain opinions and I had certain opinions and they weren't always the same. And um, our boss actually told us we needed to figure out how to work together. So um, we had to That's sit down and figure out the, be the best way that we could um, blend our two different thoughts and learn how to work together. So, yes, it didn't well, start out as um, this great partnership. Yeah, that's what you guys have now today. So it's, you know, I would love to get into that, but for the sake of time, because it would just be fun to have some good stuff on David and uh, how he fought back then and how he, he did his battles. But uh, it's so much fun to see how you both have grown in your relationship and matured through the process. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What was the turning point where – how did you work through that? Because many – Iconic leaders and strong-willed people like me, I'm, David's probably not quite as strong-willed as I am, but maybe he is, I don't know. But it is one of those things where there is that inherent struggle 
there. So give us a little insights briefly in how you started working through that, Marcia. Well, I think, one, we were both very passionate um, about getting the results. And I think our differences were about the best ways to go about getting the results. And um, we would um, we actually started working uh, more closely together. We had another reorganization, and Dave was my boss at that point in time. And as we were working in that relationship, and um, which lasted about five years, there was a point in time during our working together where personally I had some things going on in my personal life, and Dave really stepped in um, and helped me through them. And it, it was actually surprising. I did not know that um, he was paying that close of attention to what I was going through. And, um, mm. again, I think people can surprise you with um, how much they are paying attention and how compassionate they are. And so I I looked at um, that as a turning point in this is somebody I can trust, even if I don't have the same opinion, I can trust working with him because I know at the end of the day he really has my best interest in heart, at heart. That that was a touching story about how you what you went through, and he actually was very supportive. And I just think, but the, the outcome of that was the trust. And there are sometimes those difficult places give us an opportunity for conflict. But out of that, when you go through there, that has got to be one of the most critical things in what's brought the two of you together is a trust. And also, when you were telling me the story when we were together in New York at the secondary conference, your your countenance almost changed, Marcia. There was a there was a relax and a, just an admiration as a leader and uh, that that settled in there. Is that the most important thing you think to the partnership is trust? It seems like it would be. It sounds foundational to every relationship. Right. I I 100%. I think it's the trust, and I think it's also having clarity. You really have mm. to be clear on what your role is and what's expected of you, and. I can tell you, uh, anybody who works with Dave knows his number one priority is execution. So he really wants um, to see people be results-driven and to work towards common goals. So um, I I do think for us, one thing we learned through that bumpy start was we are very different people, but we have skills that complement one another. So... We're very different, but we've learned how to work very well together. You know, he um, is very smart, and he surrounds yes. himself with people who can um, help him move the ball forward. So he has a million ideas and a million projects, and my job is to help sort out which ones are the top priorities and to make sure that the work gets done. And so we, so have, we have a good partnership in that way. Let's talk about that because sorting out the priorities and which one is how – I mean, many people, many bosses, you know, they will delegate, but they pick it back up. and They just don't let the number two person execute. And, and I've watched you in action, Marcia, Marcia. You you execute extremely well. And so his trust in you is well-founded, but how would you advise someone in a number two person role to get be able to establish that? And especially when you have a boss that wants to try to pull it off. Now, I know David doesn't do that. He may have earlier, but he sure don't see any evidence from our side that he does this. Now, how, how do you how would what words of advice would you give to someone who has a boss that tells you to do something and then gets involved and micromanages it? What, what's some words of recommendations? Well, on that? one, um, you're not truly empowered if somebody wants to micromanage. So. Empowerment is key, but I think if um, your boss is having a hard time completely empowering empowering you, it could be because um, the team beneath you may not have the confidence mm. that he may have in you. So one of my one of my key operating principles is to have the right people in the right jobs that are working for me, so that I can empower them. And um, it, it, it flows downwards. So, yeah, Dave has, um, I can say, completely empowered me to do the job that he needs me to do. And I have a team that is very strong. And um, we work to make sure we have the right people and the right jobs 
so that um, we can get the job done. Now, I will say, if something goes wrong and, you know, there's no perfect team and there's no perfect individual, you really need to uh, fess up quickly. And um, one thing I've learned is if you own your results and if you take accountability and you make sure your leadership knows um, where there's been a footfall, more times than not, they'll want to help help you figure it out. So, um, that's great. That's, that's good. Yeah, I think one of the things that I want to talk about your team, Marsha, because you look at the people you've surrounded with. Dave has wisely surrounded himself with, brought you in, and you're the chief of staff. He's empowered you to do the job. He gets out of your way and gives it to you. But some of the some of the thing, lessons you've learned on how to attract the team member, I, I'm thinking of so many of your team, they all respect you. There's there's a right, there's a healthy fear and a unhealthy fear. They have a healthy, I don't say fear is the, almost a poor word, it's a respect, but they have an intense desire to perform for you. How is it, Marcia, that you went around to find them, surround yourselves with them? Do you do? Do you have people picked out? I'm thinking of Reagan, who writes uh, the speeches there. I just uh, I love her. I think of uh, so many people that you have on the staff that I just really think are just some of the top-notch people. Who? How? How did you pick them out? How do you find them? Well, many of them were at MBA, and um, we did recruit and bring some new members into MBA when we had vacancies. So I, I do think it's. Um, Again, making sure that your team feels empowered and has the right direction, that they're clear on what our overall objectives are, and they, they're clear on where we're, we're striving to go as an organization. And um, I encourage cross-pollination. So um, as you mentioned, I manage several different areas. But yes. when I meet with my management team, we look at the department as a whole. While we talk about what may go on in each individual area, we talk about the implications of what it means in its aggregate. And then we talk about our relationships within MBA and making sure that those are working well. And many of the departments that work for me serve others within MBA, whether it's their communications needs or their marketing needs. So we have internal clients, and I want to be sure that our clients are getting what they need from the team we have here. So it's it's fast paced but it's it's very interactive and um again i think we have open communication and um we meet frequently so um so that, it seems to work that's 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 now alice i'm coming to you so get your questions ready and then i'm going to go to andy and joe uh, i'm looking at the clock time flies when we get in this hot topic segment i never it just blows me away how quickly it goes that's when you're working with other people i want to come back to the hiring practices when you you inherited some people you've brought them to mm -hmm. another level of performance kudos to you for doing that but when you're hiring somebody what are you a department head or a key position marcia some of the things that you look for in that person are what uh, flexibility. So when ah, I am, an interesting word. when I'm interviewing someone, we we work in a very rapid, in um, changing environment, and so um, no matter what the job is, there could be projects that come along that um, weren't on your weren't on your list yesterday, but are going to be on your list today. Um, <laughs> people who can really um, be flexible. People who can. Um, Project calmness during times of when things may be hectic. Uh, we like uh, people to come through with somewhat of a relaxed nature. You know, we 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 are very busy and we take our jobs very seriously. But um, we have a culture here at MBA where everyone um, works very well together, and um, I think that's because it feels more like family than it does. Yeah. Um, like this rigid um, organization. So you want somebody who's going to be able to adapt to a culture that is, you know, um, kind of integrated in that way. Well, you know, I was talking with Mike Whelan, one of my favorite guys over there, uh, so many favorite people around there, but he talked about that, the sense of freedom and family, and it was really fun to hear that. Alice, let's go over to you and see, looking at, we have five minutes left in the broadcast, Alice, so I'm uh, trying to get around to each, each of you to ask what questions have risen up as I've been interviewing Marsha. Alice? 
Well, Marcia, hi. And one thing that you started to touch on there for a minute is the flexibility. And, you know, in our industry, we have a lot of ups and downs, right? Uh, you know, as the members are, we've gone mm-hmm. through cycles of having to hire and lay people off. And I'm sure MBA has had to go through those same cycles. So what tips do you have that have worked well for MBA that you would pass on to our listeners about coping with those um, hiring and layoff cycles? Um, I think, it one, it's to not be caught in it after the fact. I think um, to prepare yourself for what, what the future may hold. So um, earlier folks were talking about technology and, and how that can, um, you know, enhance your business processes. And so I would think if we know you're going to go through a cycle of compression, is there a way that you can um, – have technology or other process improvements that can free up some of your skills um, or your folks that can be redeployed into other areas where their skills could be applied so that um, you're constantly looking at your own organization and saying, what can we do differently? What can we do better? What skill sets have to change in order for us to remain fluid in the environment that we're entering into? Um, There are a lot of people who who talk about sole source dependencies. And so that puts you in a really um, difficult situation if you're a small organization and you're going to go through a compression that you have sole source dependencies because then you're in a box and it's, it's hard to move yourself and navigate in a changing environment. So to make sure that there are good succession plans in place, make sure there's cross training, those would be the types of things that I would look at if I if I knew I was going to go through a cycle of compression. I want to jump in there talk about change. I just have to make a correction. David Stevens is not speaking at the MMLA uh, conference with me. It is Bill Cosgrove, and I've got Bill on the radio, scheduled to be on the radio here in August. So a quick correction, and thank you, Reagan, for shooting me a quick note and correcting you. So your staff is on it, right on top of it, Marsha. Good job. Uh, yes, Andy, they let's, are. Uh, run over. <laughs> they are. So she, she was quick to correct me. I love how she does that. takes a good redhead to correct me anyway. Anyway, let's uh, move over to Andy. Hey, Marcia, thanks for being on the program again. I uh, I really appreciated the things that you were saying in the way this, that you said it about agreeing on a vision, building trust and clarity, mm-hmm. establishing empowerment and so forth, even the cross-pollination. I was at Bank of America in the 90s when it was 100,000 employees, and I saw it done well sometimes and saw it not done as well sometimes. We work with a lot of companies that are mid-tier. Some of them may have less than 500 employees. Some may have less than 100 employees. So the sole source dependency is a reality, and some of the sophistication between the operating groups can be a challenge. One of the real-life circumstances that our listener address, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, and uh, this is um, – you haven't heard this question before, so – preface that, that that this is off the cuff for you um, we, we work with companies who will have a branch who doesn't really uh, buy into the vision for the company they may they may be very passive aggressive they want to do it their way this results in uh, issues with the ops group not trusting the branch so we've got trust issues we've got lack of adoption of vision um, even if it is clear we, we have all kinds of dysfunction flowing in, in and through this and this is actually very common in mortgage companies, what do you see would be the steps that you'd follow to repair this oh, situation? Good. good question. So, so is the um, leadership aware of the passive-aggressive behavior? Absolutely. Doesn't and, have a clue how to fix it. Well, frankly, um, if the leadership <laughs> is aware that it has management that is not supporting the vision, I think that's uh, a meeting between the leaders, all of them, not just the one, but to sit down as a leadership team because that kind of dysfunction permeates throughout. Yes. And as you know, it, it gets in the way mm-hmm. of achieving the overall mission and goals, which I would think would be to the benefit of the overall organization. And so um, I don't know if the reason why it's allowed to um, persist is because it's um, – a cultural thing where there's not enough respect for the leadership at the top or the management team where you can have a division or a branch that kind of goes rogue. But um, 
That's a good I, point. That's a that's exactly well, what it is. Just because all that matters, it, all that matters is volume. So they let it happen. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's so true. I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time, Joe Farr. So sorry that we can't get into you, but I want to say thank you, Marcia, for taking time to be here with us today. I like your leadership style, proactive. Um, it's just the way you go about it. I just admire both what you and Dave are achieving there at the NBA. And I want to say thank you to both of you for just Oh uh, Well, thank you for solid. having me on. Oh, it's good to have you. It's always a pleasure. And I uh, look forward to having David on again soon. Next week, folks, we've got Mitch Kider will be here with us. It will be another great leader in the industry, and uh, looking forward to it. Marsha, have a great group, a great day, and greet everyone in your group. And tell Reagan thank you for correcting me while there was time to get it All set right. right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank have you. a great day. All right, everybody. You have a great week, everybody. Be sure to check out the broadcast next week. Mitch Kider will be with us, as I said, and I uh, look forward to seeing you back here then. Have a great week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.